You're listening to the GGC Life Podcast, weekly messages from our Sunday services. We hope this message encourages you. Be blessed. Hey everyone, you can be seated. He wants me to get up here. You know, he's not thinking about us old fellows, okay? Us old fellows, that's a high step. That's not even a legal step in America. That's too high. There should be two steps there and a wheelchair ramp here for me. But anyways, you know what? I enjoy getting old. Everyone says, when you like to be younger, I am not going through that again. The only thing I don't like about getting old, how many, how many old people we got? We got a few. But, you know, it's something. The older we get, things stop growing. Did you ever notice that? And some things that shouldn't grow start growing. <laughs> We better not talk about that no more. But anyways, hey, I'm so happy to be here today and back in Australia again. How many seen the movie Machine Gun Preacher? A lot of you. And I know a lot of you are thinking, okay, I want to know what's true and what's not true. I don't want to disappoint you, okay? But there was a very big lie in that movie. I'm telling the world, okay? I have to tell it. I can't hold back. I'm better looking than Gerard Butler. <laughs> What can I say? You know, I was with Gerard. I was, I, when the movie first came out, we toured together for like three months. And I'd always say, I'm better looking than him. And he said to me one day, he says, why do you keep saying that? I said, you remember one thing. You wanted to be me. I didn't want to be you. <clears throat> but anyways, God is so good. Hey, I want to talk a little bit about how the work is doing in Africa and why I like to kind of brag a little bit what God's doing in my life is because he wants to do the same thing in your life. But you know, the only thing, it can be a little difficult, it can be a little hard to get it started because for God to work in your life, you got to be dedicated to him. You know, I've been saying this around the world, challenging people that you never have to pray for anything again. Can you imagine that? Now, I know there's a lot of people teaching you how to pray for things. I'm telling you, you don't have to pray for anything for yourself. If you get up every morning and ask God, what can I do for you today? Imagine that. Imagine not having not to pray for finances, not having to pray for health. Because if you get up every morning and you make your job God's job... And you're asking him, what can I do for you today? Guess what? He's going to keep you healthy. See, you know, so I challenge you to do that. But I love to tell people how much God has done for me because I believe here today there's going to be miracles birthed in this room. And that miracle is going to be your miracle. I went to uh, East Africa 23 years ago, the end of this year. And I got in the middle of a civil war. Didn't want to be in a war. I got in the middle of a civil war, and God gave me an opportunity. See, God gives us all opportunities, and what we do at that moment can determine what's going to happen in our future. Now, I know a lot of you are thinking, I seen the movie, he picked up a gun, started shooting people. Not totally true, okay? If you get a chance to get my first book, Another Man's War, that's the truth. 
And see, the truth is, there were so many times it was God that done the did the miracles. But see, the miracles was in the book, but they were too crazy for Hollywood to literally put them in the script. Like there was one time we were driving down the road, me and a, a soldier, and uh, he had an AK-47, and I just had a pistol. And it was a lot of activities going on in the war zone. And, uh, I mean, we were actually praying. And I remember we come around the corner. We were driving really fast because we wanted to get through. We didn't want to fight, okay? Limited bullets, okay? So we, we wanted to get through and not shoot up our bullets. So we come driving around this corner really fast. And I had enough time to say, pray. That's all I had enough time to say. Pray. And no sooner than I said it, we started driving in between LRA soldiers walking towards us on each side of the road, and they never even lifted their head. See, that's the truth. Some people see the movie and they think, oh, it's some kind of crazy nut with a gun acting like Rambo. The truth is God did the miracles. They never even looked up. Moments after we drove through, they actually shot an RPG and blew up a car. But see, God can blind the enemy. But the problem is, you know, we get right to our miracle and we don't want to keep going. You know, I spoke last night a message about how our miracle will begin. And then all of a sudden it begins and somebody turns us away from our miracle and then we lose it. But I believe today you're going to hear a few things that's going to encourage you. Our work started in Africa with a mosquito net hanging in a tree. There was no land. There was no money. There was determination. See, if you're here today and you really got a vision from God, it's going to take determination on your behalf. You know, a lot of times when we start this walk with God and God calls us into something, we want to treat God like he's a genie in a bottle. Listen, we do. We think, okay, God, we need a miracle. We'll rub that bottle, and he's going to pop out, and he's going to snap his fingers and make things work. He doesn't work like that. See, first he wants to see how determined you are before he opens up his miracles. You know, a lot of people want to kind of take off where I am now. But see, they don't want to look at the first eight years that I was in Sudan. See, the first eight years that I was in Sudan, I would fly to Africa on a one-way ticket. That orphanage was started with a mosquito net in a tree. With the first few huts that we built were built out of mud with grass roofs. We had no money. We would fly over there. I would eat the exact same food that the villagers would eat. I would drink from the rivers. People say, how can you drink from the rivers? That's where everybody else drank from. There was no money to buy bottled water. There was no money to bring in my own food or little things that I might crave. The only thing I had a lot of was determination. But now that first orphanage has a church that will seat at least 600 people. <clears throat> it has a kitchen. And the kitchen there, they cook 
three meals a day for over 250 people each time. See, none of that would have happened. All the dormitories, everything that you've seen there would have never happened if I would have gave up. You know, the problem in the Christian world, a lot of people, they hear me preaching, they say, he's all the time picking on Christians. Yes, because we start something and we don't finish it. If God's in it, he needs you to be steadfast. If God's in it, we know what the word of God says. It says to pick up our what? To pick up our cross. You know, so many times people think the cross is something we wear around our neck. And it's good. I think it's good to wear it around your neck. It's good to hang it up in your car. It's good to have a picture of it on the wall. But remember what it was. Pain and suffering. So when Christ says pick up your cross, you need to realize there's going to be some pain. There's going to be some storms. There's going to be some suffering. For eight years, I went without. I almost lost my home in America. See, when I started the work that God put me out to do, I made sure it was done. I talk a little bit about our first feeding program. When I first started it, it was 21 children. I cried so many days. I was worried for so many days that I was going to walk in one day and not have no money. It used to be our budget when our budget was only $1,000 and $2,000 a month. I got it day by day, week by week. The money was not in the bank account, but I never quit. I made sure that those children was fed. And see, the Bible also says he will not give us any more than what? We can handle. You know, people say to me all the time, they say, Brother, I just don't understand why I've been serving God a long time. I pay my tithes every other month. (laughs) Better not say, I could get away saying a dirty word in America, but you don't say tithes. But anyways, we start thinking, we start thinking, why isn't God blessing me? Because the Bible says he won't give you no more than you can handle. People say, I don't know why. I'm still stuck with this old car. Clean it up and clean it out. I got in the cars already. They had McDonald's junk in there from two, three months ago. You got to move stuff to the side to get in the car. Listen, I had old cars too. Guess what? I drive a new one now. I drive a brand new Jeep. People say, you're bragging? Heck yes, I'm bragging. I'm bragging what Jesus did. Jesus wants to give you a new car. Take care of the old one you got first. Because I'm going to tell you something. People say, well, I've just got this old house. Listen, clean it up a little bit. Paint it. Men, mow the grass. Put some shrubs around it. I'm telling you, when God sees you're taking care of what he gives you, he's going to give you more. And he's going to give you more. We started with that feeding program, and now we're feeding over 12,000 meals a day. We went from one orphanage to five orphanages. But see, five orphanages was not enough for me. You know what I seen? I seen the children growing up. And then I'm looking around at most of the orphanages in third world countries. Do you realize you have to leave at 15 years old? 15 years old, you're out, and more than 70% of those children go into prostitution. I knew I had to do more. So I was always a businessman, so I started figuring it out. 
I started figuring out what I got to do. A number of years ago, I was pastoring a church, and God said, I want you to start teaching my people how to get out of debt. So I got on the, uh, I got, went to the Christian bookstore. I started getting every book that I could think of. I started to say internet, but there was no internet back then. So I started getting all these books and studying. I started teaching how to get out of debt, and God said, stop. I'm like, God, make up your mind, please. And he said, first, you got to get yourself out of debt before you can teach other people. Now in Africa, God wants me to teach people how to be self-sustained, but guess what? You can't teach someone how to be self-sustained unless you can be self-sustained. So we started building businesses. The businesses are not just for us to make money. They're to teach people a skill and a trade. You know, education is one thing, but you still, if you want to change a nation, it takes professional people, but it also takes hardworking people. To get a professional person, guess what? you got to put them in school for six to eight years in university. How many organizations do you hear doing that nowadays? We have over 30 kids right now in university. But we also got a lot of, a lot of other kids like me not smart enough to go to university. So we started a commercial farm in northern Uganda. You know, I love farming. You know, and I love what God does to us. See, God puts opportunities in front of you to see your reaction. I'll never forget the first year that we got our rice harvest in 2016. 2016, we gave away 25 ton of rice. We filled our storehouses first. And then we gave away 25 ton of rice. But see, God sees our intentions. This is what's so crazy. We opened up a few acres, very few acres in 2017. But the harvest was 125 ton. I'm telling you, you can't outgive God, but I love to try. <clears throat> We gave away in 2000, uh, uh, 2017, and keep in mind, we also sold. We sold items off of this farm. We gave away 15 ton of pumpkins, 10 ton of potatoes, and the harvest just keeps coming and keeps coming. We gave away in 2017 uh, 28 cows, or excuse me, 26 cows, 38 goats, but I tell you what's happening now. Every time our goats are having babies, they're having twins and triplets. You can't outgive God. We fed in 2016 on Christmas Day. Now listen, am I bragging about our organization? Yes, I am. I got a lot of dedicated people, and I got a lot of people that sees exactly what I see, that it's about helping other people. We fed on Christmas Day 18,000, over 18,000 people in a refugee camp in Arua, Uganda. This is what God wants us to do. And see, when, he, when we do it with a pure heart, he keeps expanding everything. You know, I'm going to let you see three of our major projects that we got going on in Ethiopia, Uganda, and South Sudan. We started in South Sudan. And God keeps adding the work. Now we're in three countries. You know, and here today, I'm only talking about what we're doing in East Africa. I'm not talking about what we do in America. 
our organization, the last two hurricanes that, that hit Texas, the last one that hit Florida, we sent a team of people in and we boarded up elderly people's homes with plywood. See, I don't even talk about any of that stuff. We took a tractor trailer load of food down and gave it to people that wasn't getting any food supply. See, there's a lot of good, uh, there's a lot of good organizations in the U.S., but see, a lot of them take a lot of paperwork. You know what I'm talking about? Hurricane comes through, it takes paperwork to get the relief there. I don't like paperwork. When they had the one in Texas, we took a tractor trailer load of food into there. But I'm telling you, you know, when you hear me talk today, remember, God wants to do something big in your life. And a little bit later, we're going to have a message on hope today. I never know what I'm preaching, but today I'm going to be preaching about hope. Let's watch this video. <coughs> hey there, everyone. Sam Childers, machine gun preacher. I want to give you an update on all the work that's been done over this past year, right up to June 2018. <coughs> but first, I want to say to everyone out there, thank you for your support. All of our friends, all of our family, all the people that have supported us for so many years, none of this work could have been done without you. Thank you. The first project I want to share with you today is the Ethiopian Project. This project has been going on for nearly five years, but it's a massive building. Keep in mind, it's a six-story building that's being used to train young people. The first floor is a commercial bakery. The second floor is a restaurant, a few other small businesses. Third floor and fourth floor is a hotel. Half of the fourth floor will be used to bring in 50 to 60 young people from 16 years old to 26 years old. The fifth floor will be sectioned off into business rentals, where we'll even put some of these young people into business. The sixth floor is rooftop dining, but the entire building is built to give young people a future. If we can teach a skill and give someone a trade, we have gave them a future. Our second project I want to share with you about, and many of you have been watching for about four years now, is our commercial farm in northern Uganda. All the workers on this farm, and there's nearly 70 people working there now, are all victims of war. These are people that would not have a future unless we teach them a skill and a trade. But this farm is doing amazing things. We got the workshop up, we got the storage building up, we got four tractors now, we got all types of farming equipment. We have a lot of things to do yet, but the produce that's coming off this farm is amazing. In Christmas of 2016, we fed over 18,000 people in a refugee camp. 2017, our rice harvest was over 100 25 tons. That's not including the pumpkin. That's not including the potatoes, tomatoes, onions. It's just amazing what this farm is doing. Even the cattle, our goats, everything keeps multiplying and multiplying, but that's all because of your support. One of our newest projects that's being done in northern Uganda is Angel's Truck Stop and Training Center. 
We believe over the next two years, we'll be working at least 100 people that are all victims of war. This project right now, there's one little piece that's up and running. We have a restaurant working, and we have several hotel rooms that are up. This project is already bringing in money, but the big thing we're hoping to do over the next few months is put the service station for selling fuel, we're putting in a supermarket, we're putting in a major workshop for working on cars, working on trucks, and over the next two years, we're building a two-story hotel with a swimming pool. As I said, this project over the next year should work at least 100 people that are all victims of war. Everything I've been talking about is projects that you've been supporting, and it's also training people, giving them a future. On top of all of that, we're up to feeding over 12,000 meals a day. I gotta say, thank you. God bless. Praise God. That's only a fraction of what we have done over the years. We have built seven schools from the footer up. If we're going to say we want to change nations, it begins with education. We built seven schools. We're getting ready to build the eighth school. If you want to save lives anywhere, I should say anywhere in Africa, especially East Africa, drill a well. One well in a needed area will save thousands of lives. But that's not just in Africa. That's in almost any third world country. If you're here today and you get an opportunity to drill a well where young people, little kids, and elderly are dying from parasites from the water, jump on board. Because guess what? God has to bless you for work like that. You know, I'm going to give you the opportunity. We're only going to do like maybe two questions, three questions. I'm going to let you ask me any question you would like about our work, any question about finances, any question about my personal life. Now, before we get started, okay, everyone listen. This is not testimony time. This is not time for you to tell about your project or what you got going on. This is time for you to ask me anything. There is no question that will upset me or offend me. Nothing. So who's got the first question? We're going to get a mic to you. I need the mic. I tell everyone, okay, the mic's for me. People say, I don't need a mic. I do. I was married over 30 years. I'm hard of hearing. Some of you got it. Some of you are thinking about it. Go ahead. Hi, Sam. Um, aside from you committing murder before becoming a Christian, did you ever kill anyone in Saddam? Kidding, committing what? Murder. I have never committed murder in my life. So that yeah. part in the movie is uh, false? The Hollywood movie, yes, yeah, definitely false. Okay. Now, I am a soldier. I am a security uh, man. I own a security company. And our job is to serve and protect. Now, I don't know if we have any ex-soldiers or soldiers in here today or police officers or emergency people. If you are, I want to thank you for your services. You know, every policeman, I train soldiers and I even train policemen in Uganda and also in Sudan. But I have never met a soldier or a policeman that said, I got into this to shoot people. No, we serve people and we protect people is what we do. Am I trained to use a firearm just like every policeman is? Yes. 
So my question is, have you ever killed someone? I just told you that. In Sudan, in Sudan. Okay, let me, let me tell you this way. I've I mean, been you on, don't really hold a pistol I've, and I've not use on, it, you know? Let me tell you this, okay? I've been on 60 Minutes. I've been on El Kajir. I've been on BBC. been on CNN. And everyone always asked me about violence, and I never answer. And I'll tell you why. Violence. I want every Christian to hear this. Violence does not glorify Jesus Christ does not but what i do i rescue children and see how many in here has a child see i said this to somebody the other day and they didn't like it because they thought about it what if somebody took your child today what if somebody took your mother today we don't have many children in here today but what if they were going to get raped cut up a lot of bad things I'll watch what I'm saying I rescue children I don't put anything in front of that besides saving a life I'm in this work to serve and protect if I've done anything wrong I guarantee you God would have took me out of this world a long time ago the movie you've seen and I want to get that straight is a Hollywood movie that was not very accurate People say, why did you let him do it? You got to remember, when you sign on the dotted line, you're completely out of it. But see, that movie, every bad thing, something good can come out of it. I've spoken 27 countries in this past year. I've been around the world six times. I have an average of about 25,000 people a year coming to the Lord. I'm booked for the next two years where I can tell the truth that Jesus Christ lives. Somebody else. Somebody else. I love these questions. I love them. Um, what I'd like to say is what, how you answered that was with passion, love, meekness, and a, and a Christ-like love. That, that answer is the answer that we need continuously. We Jesus Christ is not violence. Yeah. What you do is serve and protect, and what you do is a man. You're a real man. Because what you did is what you did for those children. And those children love you, and you love them. As Christ Thank loves you. you, you love them. That's right. what I see. And All my right. heart opens for you continuously. All right. Thank you. You know, I do want to say this much, you know. Since I've been in Australia, and I've been here 12 times over a decade, and, you know... In America, we support our soldiers, emergency people, and we support our police officers to the highest. You know, I love a lot of the morals of Australia, but the only thing I think Australia is lacking a little bit is supporting the soldiers of this country. And, you know, I want to tell you something. You guys got an unbelievable military. Maybe some of you don't know your military. Maybe some of you don't know the police officers that I don't like some of the biker laws that they're doing, but I'm going to tell you something. You have an unbelievable emergency crew in the country of Australia. And, you know, I challenge people, I challenge people to start serving them a little bit more. Seriously, just start to serve your emergency people. Is there any soldiers in here today? Any ex-soldiers? Anybody that served this country before in here today? Okay, thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? 
Listen, we got one guy, and let's all give him applause first. Seriously. All right. <clears throat> I don't have no more times for questions. I got to get straight into the message because I want to be prompt on the, on the uh, time limit here today. Because Listen, everything falls under a time. And see, God watches how obedient we are. But I want to talk today a little bit about the word hope. You know, something that I found out that no matter where you are in the world, I don't care how big the auditorium is, I don't care if it's 10 people or 10,000, we all have something in common in this room today. Hope. The hope that you have. See, what I have found is it don't matter if you are a homeless guy and you're sleeping on the street and all you got is a torn up blanket. That guy has hope for his life. I don't care if you're living over here in a $5 million, $6 million mansion. That person has hope for his life. I don't care if you're eating out of a dumpster. That person has hope for his life. I don't care if you're able to go into a restaurant and order what you want to eat, not look at the price. You order whatever you want to eat. That person has hope for their life. But what I've found out around the world, we're only after our human hope. And we're not seeking the hope that Jesus has for us. See, Jesus has a hope that's so mind-boggling. You can't even partake it. You can't even understand it. You know, I look at my own life. 30 years ago, I could not read or write. I could have never imagined traveling around the world selling books. I would have never imagined that I could write anything, and it would be in every bookstore around the world. I couldn't imagine not being able to read or write, but a book selling 800 50 some thousand copies but see that's God's hope that he has for us God wants to do something big in our life but we're only concentrating on our hope I love to tell this story about a young girl that come to work for me a number of years ago <clears throat> my first restaurant in Uganda I opened up nine years ago you can tell I love cooking right oh thank you <laughs> Just speak it right out loud. Oh, yeah. Listen at her. She got all Pentecostal on me. Yeah. All right. But I, I opened this restaurant up nine years ago. And this girl came to work that day. And I'll never forget, I heard them interviewing her. <clears throat> My famous question is to anybody when I hire, I work over 440 people a day. My famous question is, when can you start? Usually, American will say, well, let me see. I got, a, I got an appointment on Monday. I'm supposed to go fishing on Tuesday. I need to rest on Wednesday. So I could start Friday, and I just go on. I don't need you. You know, the people that say, well, I can start right now. This girl came into the restaurant, and I heard them interviewing her, and they, she said, uh, when, when can you start? She said, I can start right now. And we hired this girl. She was different than everybody. She would come an hour before her shift. When was the last time you did that? She would work an hour after her shift. When was the last time you did that? And, I mean, this girl was just amazing. She was a waitress. Nobody was as clean as this girl. 
She would wash her uniform out every night and hang it. When she got there in the morning, she would clean the restaurant and get it all ready. Then she'd go iron out her, her uniform. When this girl seen somebody come through the gate, she would skip out to the gate. Now, I would skip, but I'd probably fall and break my hip, and then I got a problem. But she would skip out to the gate, and she would grab that person by the hand, and she would want to know, how is your day? Are you having a good day? You look really good today. Now, you know I'd be lying if I said that to him. <laughs> I'm just kidding you. But anyways, she made everybody feel happy. No matter who you was, she made you get a smile. She wanted to know how was your day? Is your day going fine? Are you hungry? What are you hungry for? She made your life her life. And everybody loved her. Weeks went by and we had people that would come to our restaurant and they would look around if she didn't greet them at the gate and they would say, where's Justin? And we'd say, well, she's off today. They'd say, we'll be back tomorrow. <laughs> Everybody loved Justin. You know, I don't care whose restaurant you go to. There's always a time in your favorite restaurant, you'll go there and you're going to get a meal that you're not going to like. You're not going to be real happy with. It don't happen often, but sometimes you're going to get a bad meal. You could give a cold meal. You could give something you didn't even order. But if Justin served it, Everybody loved it. Everybody loved this girl. So I watched her for two years. <clears throat> we were starting up another business in a brand new shopping mall in Kampala. This was a, a brand new shopping mall. It was like six or seven floors, and it was up on a, like a hillside in Kampala, brand new. And I needed somebody that was going to work there good and be able to run this guest house that we had, a bed and breakfast. And so I went to Justin and I said, Justin, honey, would you like to have this job? I said, it's going to pay more money. And I went on telling her and she started to cry. And she says, oh, yes. And I'm going to work so hard. She said, when do you want me to start? And I said, well, Friday you can move into the big house eight-bedroom, nine-bathroom house. And I said, you're going to run this. It's a big guest or bed and breakfast. I said, you're going to run it, but I need you at this shopping mall every Monday to go in to take the food incentive to, or uh, incentives to take the, the, uh, the phone cards in to the workers, and you need to kind of do a, do a log book of everything going on in the office. She says, okay, I'll, I'll be there. So Monday morning, I go down there. Here she's waiting on everybody to get there. So we go up. We were like on the fifth floor, sixth floor. We had two offices. I sat all the workers down, introduced them to Justin. I told them Justin is going to run everything, and she'll be here every Monday. She'll stop in during the week. And I told Justin everything she had to do. I told all the workers everything they had to do. And, and then finally, I'm, I'm looking around, and I don't see Justin. Did you see where Justin went? No. Did you see where Justin went? Nobody knows where Justin went. I'm starting to get a little bit upset. Okay. I know you never get upset, do you? So I'm starting to get a little bit riled, okay? That's how us Americans, we get upset real quick. I know Australians don't. So I'm looking, I'm looking all over, and I look down the hallway, and I see her at the end of the hallway looking out the window. So I holler, Justin! Get down here now. 
So I walk back inside, and I know you're thinking, oh, he just hurt. Listen, it's okay to hurt someone's feelings as long as you can walk back and say, man, I'm sorry. I should have never talked to you like that. I should have never talked to you like that. I had no right to. See, that's the problem. We all hurt someone's feelings. So I go back into the office, and I'm thinking, what is taking her so long? You know, it's like some people, you'll ask them, you know, you're in a hurry. Do you ever notice some people, they just like. <laughs> That's not always old people either, okay? Sometimes they just, you young people especially. huh? Come on, old people, help me, come on. You know, you just kind of walk along, taking your time. So I look out in the hallway, and she's standing right there, and she's crying. I said, man, I just hurt that little girl's feelings. So I walked out to her and I said, honey, I'm sorry. I had no right to act like that with you. I got a lot on me today. I'm already running late, but it's still no right. Please forgive me. And she said, it's okay. She said, can I show you something? And I said, yeah, yeah, I got, I'll, I'll make time. She walked me back to that window. And we looked out the window from about the fifth or sixth floor of the shopping mall down into a valley. And it was the biggest slum in Kampala, Uganda. And she looked at me with tears in her eyes and she said, that's where I lived till you moved me in that big house. I said, honey, I'm sorry. Here was my best worker. Here was the worker that made me money. And I didn't know she lived in the slum. Here was the worker that was always happy. Here was the worker that no matter what you were going through, she put a smile on your face. Here was the worker that was the cleanest girl I had in our restaurant working. This girl went over and beyond to serve everybody. No matter who you was, even if you was somebody with a bad attitude, she served you. And she lived in the slum. And I started crying. I said, honey, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And she said, no, 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 it's okay. She said, I want to tell you a little something. She said, for two years, I watched them building this shopping mall. It was brand new shopping mall. For two years, I would cook outside almost every day over a charcoal stove. And she pointed out the little house or little tin can, whatever you want to call it, rusted roof, little building that she slept in. She said, for two years, I would sit out there and cook over a charcoal stove. And she said, my hope and my prayer was just to walk in the front door of that building one day and buy a candy bar. See, some of you have been to Africa, and I know I've met some that work in Africa. See, nobody in Africa walks into a store and buys a big candy bar. Maybe a piece of chocolate. But see, if you buy a big candy bar, you're usually with your friends. Maybe three or four people will go in together. But her hope, her prayer was just one day walk in the front door of that shopping mall like everybody else, and just walk up and buy a candy bar. She said, do you remember everything you said to me today? And 
I said, I think so, but honey, you're doing a good job. Tell me. She said, you told me everything that I had to do. You told me I had to give out the lunch incentives. I had to give out the phone cards. I had to do this. I had to do this. And when you were all done, you said to me, Justin, I want you to bring a little bit of extra money from the house every Monday morning. There's a beautiful coffee shop downstairs. I want you to go into that coffee shop and I, wanna, I want you to buy a cappuccino. And when you get that cappuccino, tell them to put extra chocolate on the top. I didn't know what her hope was. And then she said, do you remember the last thing you said to me? And I said, honey, you're doing a good job, tell me. <laughs> she said, you said, and Justin, bring some extra money. They make a muffin bigger than your fist. And every Monday, I want you to try a different muffin. I want you to get a chocolate muffin, a white chocolate muffin, a banana muffin. I want you to try a vanilla muffin. I want you to try a different uh, muffin every week. And in a couple months, I want you to tell me which one was your favorite. And she started crying. And she said, all I asked God for was a candy bar. See, God has something amazing for you today, and you can't even dream of it because we're so concentrating on that little bit of hope that we have. Maybe what we need to do is start to dwell in what God has for us. There was another time we were working at an <clears throat> office building, and we were all working late, and even Kevin was there. Wave your hand, Kevin. And everyone was going to eat. It was late at night. Everyone was going to eat down in town. And, and I don't want to go down in the town. You could be gone for hours. And it's getting late, okay? Us old people don't like to. It's not good for us to eat late. Some of you know what I'm talking about. All right. So I walk out of the office, and Justin said, well, I'm going to go home too. And I said, but Justin, I'm a little bit hungry. And I said, you want to go to the Italian place right across the street from the office? And she said, yeah. So we went over there, and we done what everybody else does. You know what we all do as soon as we get into a restaurant? We grab our phone, and we start going through the phone, okay? We're sitting there at the table, and I'm playing with my phone, and all of a sudden, I, I look down at her, and she's crying. I said, my God, I didn't even say nothing to her, God. God, you, you've been watching me. I didn't say nothing. I'm even going to pay for the meal, God. I don't know why she's crying. I, you know, and I'm looking around. People's looking at us, and I'm thinking, man, these people's going to think I'm mean. I'm being mean to this girl. So I said, Justin, honey, I didn't say nothing to you. Why are you crying? And she said, I was in this restaurant before. I said, honey, that's no reason to cry. She said, me and my sister used to come to the back door and we used to buy the soup bones that everybody else would buy for their dogs. We would buy. And we would take them home and we would cook them and cook them till the marrow came out and every little bit of meat came off. And we would make a soup. And that's what we would eat. And she said, I can't even dream that God would have me here today eating the meat from the bones. 
See, God wants to do something big in your life. I want to read something from John chapter 5. And I love this passage of scripture. It's titled in my Bible, Jesus Heals a Lame Man by a Pool. Starting at verse 1. Afterwards, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holidays. Inside the city, near the sheep, sheep gates, was a pool of Bethsaida with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, and paralyzed, laid by the pool. Now listen to this part, verse 5. One man lying there for 38 years, or excuse me, one man lying there had been sick for 38 years. I always describe this man as American. (laughs) He had to be American, okay? Because the man was lying there, and this day Jesus was walking around the pool. Jesus is healing people. Miracles are happening. See, when miracles happen, there's always a front runner. You know what a front runner is? There's always somebody out there telling everyone, Jesus is healing people. There's people back there that can't walk and Jesus is healing them. There's there's people that's blind and he's laying hands on them. They're getting healed. See, this man laying there for 38 years knew the healer was at the pool. He knew the miracle worker was at the pool. But see, he laid there for 38 years that hope one day he was going to get in that pool before anybody else. Because when the water would boil up, the first one in the pool was usually who they would think was going to get healed. So Jesus walked up to him. See, there's no doubt. It Don't say it in Scripture, but come on. Let's just kind of exaggerate a little bit. When Jesus walked up to him, he knew who he was. He knew it was Jesus. He knew it was the king, the miracle worker. He knew it was his hope. But he was concentrating too much on his own hope and not the hope that Jesus had for him. And Jesus said to him, would you like to be healed? And he said, I can't. That's why he had to be American. (laughs) I can't. Everybody's asked, would you, like to, would you like your miracle today? I can't. Every time I go to that altar, somebody gets in front of me, and they always get it first. I can't. That's what we want to say all the time. I can't. But Jesus can. See, Jesus healed that guy that day. But the thing that I like to bring out to people, we need to realize that you can You know, I want to tell you a story that I tell almost in a lot of my meetings. And the story is about what God can do. You know, a lot of churches, because I preach all the denominations, a lot of churches, they believe that these miracles that's in this book were for 2,000 years ago. If that's true, I'm going home and I'm never going to preach out of that book again. See, the miracles in that book are for today. You know, 24 years ago, I was in a mountain or up on a mountain in Colorado hunting elk. Now, you all know us Americans. We like our guns. We like to go hunting. 
okay, and I'm up on this mountain, and I'm just waiting on an elk to come out. Standing there just waiting. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God came down on that mountain. And I could hear the voice of God say, I'm about to take you out to the nations to carry the message of hope. Are you willing? And I looked up and I was like, God, we, 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 we got a problem. God said again, I'm about to take you out to the nations to carry the message of hope. See, God wants to use the most unlikely because then you can see the miracle. He said it the second time. Are you willing to go? I said, God, we, we, we got a problem. See, I'm what they call a Pennsylvania hillbilly. Y'all know what a hillbilly is? Most of you are city slickers. See, in, in America, when you're in a big city like this, we call you city slickers. It's not a bad word. And hillbilly is a good thing. I'm a hillbilly, okay? We catch on slow. Maybe you city slickers get it quick. But us hillbillies, we catch on slow, okay? God only wants to hear from you today, yes or no. Even the word says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. So I caught on. The third time he asked me, he said, I'm about to take you out to the nations. Are you willing to go? Yes. I walked out of the mountain that day down to a little camper trailer where my wife was. And when I walked into that camper trailer, my wife turned and she said, Oh my God, Sam, what happened to you? And I started telling her, You are not going to believe this. I was on the mountain hunting. And the power of God, the Spirit of God came down on that mountain. He said he's going to take me out to the nations to carry the message of hope. And I'm telling her detail by detail. And she fell to her knees and she started crying. Not because I spoke to God. It was the first time in 10 years of marriage she ever heard me speak and I didn't stutter. See, Sam Childers was not only a heroin addict, drug addict, drug dealer, a thug, a criminal, a no-good person. He was not only totally illiterate 30 years ago. On top of all of that, I could not speak. Don't tell me God can't use you. You've been listening to the GGC Life Podcast. 
We hope this message has encouraged you. For more, please visit our website, ggclife.com or email us, ggclife at ggclife.com. From our house to yours, be blessed.